What's up, folks of Gator Country? This is none other than your boy, David Soderquist, along with Andrew Spivey. And Florida will be on a bye week, and Hoops is starting up here soon. And we will be having on Eric Fawcett here in a little bit to discuss Hoops and Mike White going into another season with the Gators basketball team. But first on the podcast today, a little segment I officially want to call the bye week blues. <laughs> Spivey, man, uh, what's been going on in Florida Gator Nation, man, besides the, uh, the, with the little teleconference we had today? Who got fired, Ed Orgeron or Dan Mullen? I don't know, man. It feels <laughs> a little hot. different. It feels a little different, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. It, it feels a little different. Uh, very strange feeling around the program right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously Todd Grantham's all but got a fork in him. But I'll be honest, I, you know, heading into the LSU week, <clears throat> You know, never would I have thought that the pressure would be this on on Mullen if he lost. But the heat's out there, and uh, he was on the teleconference on Wednesday. Um, that's his only media appearance for the bye week, and that's that's normal. He usually doesn't do very much uh, media during the bye week as coaches are out on the road. They take Monday off. Um, so that's normal, but uh, he was peppered. He was peppered with questions, and you know he gives his normal BS about evaluating this and evaluating that. And you know, I think the one thing though that stood out to me, David, was he says both quarterbacks are going to play, and uh, you know he didn't want to say one guy was going to start with the other, but if I'm if I was reading that press conference, I would say Emory Jones is your starting quarterback. Don't say that, please. Don't say that's probably. That but, would be that would be where I'm at. Well, you you know you know how Dan is though. He's he's gonna say one thing and then do another thing. He's the thing is though is George is gonna prepare for two quarterbacks anyway. Like it doesn't right. matter whether you say Emory Jones is starting, Anthony Richardson is starting, and he said he's gonna play both. Like he always does. So who cares? Like just say Anthony Richardson starting if you want him to start. But that's the thing. We don't know if Dan Mullen wants him to start or not. Well, here's the thing for me. I, I wouldn't tell you. I wouldn't tell you. Yeah. I wouldn't tell you a lick. I'd keep it a secret all the way down to the wire. And that would just be me. Um, and, you know, that's the football coach in me. I wouldn't I wouldn't say a word. I would say just like he said. Uh, and, and I, you know, you, you look at it, and obviously it's gamemanship. You just – you're never going to say that. Um, you know, you're not going to give Georgia any, any leads whatsoever. If Kirby Smart's smart, which I'm pretty sure Kirby Smart's pretty smart defensive guy – He's going to prepare for Anthony Richardson to be yeah. the starter. <laughs> uh, obviously, he knows both quarterbacks pretty well, and he, and he even said that Kirby did. Um, so I, I get it. Um, but the, the the issue becomes, David, and, and we're going to get into this more after we talk to Eric, but the issue becomes when you get this far down the road that you really are, everything you say is scrutinized to a T and picked apart to a T – that you're in a no-win situation. Um, And I feel like that's where he's at. I think he could tell us the sky was blue, and we'd argue with him. Yeah. I I mean, well, it's rightfully so, though. He brought it on to himself. I mean, you can't can't sit here and recruit lackluster all year, and then on top of that, we'll get into some other recruiting and all that towards the end of this podcast, but you can't lackluster recruit. You can't have an anemic defense two years in a row – you can't lose games you shouldn't lose, especially whether it's by three, seven, or two points. It doesn't matter. You can't lose games that you're not supposed to lose. 
good coaches close out close games. Whether they're playing Alabama or they're playing an LSU team that's hobbled with 30 players, good coaches, elite coaches, close out close games. And you can't do that on a consistent basis without getting some sort of criticism for it. And, Great. It, and you know, and, and we'll get into it later on. Dan is just not the, the same energy Dan has. You can see it starting to wear on him a little bit. So right. you're wondering now, what's his response going to be? Is his response going to be, well, it's going to be the same thing each week, next week, the week after, evaluate this, evaluate that, uh, whatever. Or is he going to take another step and say, you know what? I need to prove all these people wrong. The pressure's too much. I need to do something and then maybe accelerate that into the Jacksonville game and maybe just start Richardson to begin with and see how he does. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I was listening to someone today, and um, if you start Richardson and Richardson pulls a shoe out of his hat and wins the game, people are going to be pissed that he hadn't played all year. Don't say shoe around here. Whatever. Yeah, yeah pull a dog or balling out a dog, whatever. Uh, still, you know, if, if that happens, and again, Dan's put himself in this position that it is. Everything is scrutinized. He's four and six in his last ten ball games. Yep. That's the same thing to Jim McElwain and Will Muschamp were when they got fired. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Now, and, and, and the difference to, is those two guys got fired with really good recruiting classes coming in. Yeah. Dan's recruiting class, and, and we're going to talk about this more, but Shamar James decommitted. That was their highest-rated guy. It's falling apart. Probably going to go to Georgia. This class isn't looking great. No. Where are you planning to, you know, go from elite to – I mean, from good to elite where, you know, I, I was, I was reading a story on, uh, on Wednesday and they said, you know, you can out scheme teams and win eight, nine games, yeah. maybe even 10. You can't out scheme yourself for 12 wins, no. 13 wins. You, you can't, you, you can't. And here's the thing. It has shown because as our man Wonderlick said, the margin of error for Dan Mullen is zero. Like, you have to be perfect with that roster that you have right now. You have to have no injuries, nothing going on. You don't have good quality depth. You don't have elite depth. (laughs) Who's going to step in if one of the offensive linemen gets hurt? Who's going to step in if a corner gets hurt? Like Jason Marshall or Kyer Elam. Who's stepping in there? You don't have good quality elite depth. And then you went to the portal to try to band-aid that, and now you got Elijah Blades out of here. (laughs) So who do you Well, and then you, you look at it, okay, and, and we're going to bring on Eric now or in just a second after this point real quick. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll get into it later. But my, my my last point on this is this, and that is Alabama, for instance. Let's just, let's just get – let's just talk Alabama. The Florida game. Their worst game of the year, probably. Yeah. They found a way to win. Great talent. You, you look at teams when they things go wrong and they're able to still win games. When things go wrong for Florida, they lose because they don't have enough depth to just overcome it. They don't have enough star power to overcome it. You know, a lot of teams, great teams, can figure out a way to overcome eight penalties because guess what? They have enough star-studded athletes. They can convert third and 15. Yeah. And, and so. you kind of you saw it in the LSU game. You have one star, which, which a quarterback makes a huge difference. To be, right. to be wrong. You can, you can be depleted of skill level talent on offense if you have a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. And you saw it in the LSU game. LSU was going to blow that. They were going to blow us out of the water until Anthony Richardson stepped in. 
And he's right. one of those guys that is a good skill level athlete. But who do you have after? What if Anthony Richardson gets hurt? We got Emory Jones, and I'm and I'm not trying to trash Emory Jones. <laughs> he's leap. Anthony Richardson's leaps and bounds better than Emory Jones, from what I've saw. So here's what, the thing: if, I if he say. gets hurt, who do you have? Emory Jones would be a lot better with last year's football talent. With Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony. Oh yeah, yeah. Emory Emory Jones will look really good, but the talent surrounding him is not good. So uh, let's go. Let's talk, Eric, um, David. We'll uh, we'll talk some basketball, some Mike White. Maybe uh, maybe Eric can cheer everybody up with some Mike White talk. And then I don't know we'll, about that. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, they may surprise some people. Maybe we'll get, some we'll other basketball Eric. talk. <laughs> yeah, we'll get Eric. We'll talk some basketball, and then we'll come back and uh, we're gonna break down that video you had on Twitter. Yeah, let's do it, man. All right, folks, we have on Eric Fawcett, basketball expert over here at GatorCountry.com, covers the Gators basketball team for us in every facet of the game. And with all the bad news going on in Gator football, (laughs) come shed some light on the Gator basketball team for us, man, and give us some good news. Bring us some good news, Eric. You know, we're we're over here talking bad about losing to LSU and Kentucky. Bring us some good news, my man. Is Florida going to be Florida State this year? (laughs) <laughs> that's a that's a tough one. You know what? I will uh, both kind of my general thoughts on the team and what will happen against Florida State uh, are a little bit tied in here. So the first thing I'll say is if you're looking for an optimistic way of looking at this Florida basketball team, the first thing to look at is that it really does look like a team that's very different than the Gator teams of these last couple of years. And what I mean by that is you look at the last couple of years and there's been a couple of returning players that that the Gators like, whether that was Kayvon Allen and Chris Chioza or Kerry Blackshear or um, last year with, you know, Keontae Johnson, of course, it didn't turn out that way, but with Keontae Johnson and, and, and Trey Mann. Um, but all those teams had, you know, a couple of returning pieces that you liked, but then there was a whole lot of young players, um, fairly highly thought of recruits um, that were going to be really heavily relied on. So uh, what we have kind of seen with the last couple of years is like, you know, if you rely on young players, uh, that's just often not going to work in college basketball where everyone's trying to get older and more experienced. So you look at this this year's Florida team and they've got a hell of a five-star recruit in Kwesi Reeves, who I love a whole lot, six foot seven shot maker, Um But, you know, he's not going to have to be relied upon because the Gators have Colin Castleton coming back. They have Tyree Appleby coming back as a fifth-year point guard. Anthony Drugy coming back as a fifth-year player. And then all the graduate transfers they're bringing in that I'm sure we'll get to. Brandon McKissick and Myron Jones and Flanders Fleming and and C.J. Felder. Like, they have a bunch of players that are older, have already shown that they can contribute at the high major – well, a couple of them at the high major level, a couple of them just – at, at a high level at some, some lower leagues. But I, again, I just look at this Florida team and it, it looks a lot different than these last couple of years where Florida was going to need to get a whole lot of production from some very young players and banking on that in college basketball, not just at Florida, but around the entire sport, that has not been a recipe for experience. Um, you can really look at them in a little bit of a different way than some of these past teams. So as that relates to Florida State, one thing that's nice is that the Gators get to play Florida State in the second game of the season. So you look at Florida, they are definitely the more experienced team, more new, younger pieces for Florida State. They've got a lot of talent. Um They've got some really good recruits coming in, some good younger transfers, but Florida is the older team. So I think that when you look at a game that's being played, second game of the season, 
oftentimes those matchups are going to benefit the more experienced team. That's also why we've, or I'll say part of the reason why Florida state has really dominated the rivalry recently was because Florida state was always the older team. And then Florida's bringing all these young players first or second game of the season. The Gators don't know how to play together yet. And uh, Florida state just comes out and blitzes them. Well, I don't think that's going to be the case. And if Florida is going to catch Florida state, it's probably going to be this team with uh, the much older, more experienced roster. Two-part question for you. A, can Florida go more than seven or eight deep like they were last year where it seemed like it was a limited group? And then based off of what you know, who do you think rolls out as that starting five? So this has been a good kind of question um, because there's the starting five that I think would be the best five. And then there's the starting five that I think Mike White is going to play just kind of based off what he has done in the past. So can you give him the starting five that's going to win games? That's what we want, Eric. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is the starting five that I think will win games. Um, Starting a point guard, I'd have Tyree Appleby, um, you know, fifth year player. We saw him do pretty well next to Trey Mann last year, and now he's going to be a lot more suited to his skill set. So I I think we see a big year out of him. I see Myron Jones, the Penn State transfer, 15 points a game, proven high major guy at shooting guard. I see Kowasi Reeves, the five-star freshman, six-foot-seven shot maker at small forward. I see C.J. Felder. Six foot seven physical power forward, unlike anyone the Gators have really had on the roster recently, and a proven ACC player, played in you know one of the best leagues in college basketball the last two years, proved he can contribute at a high level. I see him at, at power forward, and I see Colin Castleton, of course, um, preseason first team at all SEC at center. Um, the lineup that I think that the Gators are going to play, just based off what Mike White normally does. Tyree Appleby at point guard, Brandon McKissick, UMKC transfer. Um, combo guard smaller guy can really defend at the point of attack shoots threes um and then i would say myron jones at the three so that would be three six foot three and under guards in the uh, on the perimeter then i would see anthony deruji at the four mike white has always loved playing smaller kind of more stretchy guys at the four than traditional power forwards and then and then con castleton at the five so those are the that's the five I'm expecting to see when they open the season against Elon. The, I mentioned the starting five that I think is going to kind of emerge as the best one by the end of the season. But you know what, Andrew, this is like very easily the most depth that a Mike white team has had. And as, as much as I say, Oh, this is the starting five I think should happen. And this is the starting five I think is going to happen. I, I don't hate the starting five. I think Mike White's going to roll out. So let's just roll with the starting five that um, I think Mike White's going to roll out. Tyler Do you Appleby. think that helps get to the pace of play Mike White wants to play? Yeah, it certainly it certainly helps. I mean, you look at the Gators that have been so thin, um, It's especially at the positions of guys that need to be flying out there at the wing. There's been so few wings on the roster. Um, so it just hasn't been, hasn't been really part of Florida basketball, despite that being what... Mike White was branded as so you, you you look at the starting five that I think is going to play with Tyree Appleby, uh, Brandon McKissick, Myron Jones, uh, Anthony Deruji, and Con Castleton. Well, you, you know off the bench you've got a five star in Kwesi Reeves. Um, that's pretty special. You have Flandris Fleming, a transfer from Charleston Southern, which played in a not very good Big South league, but he scored twenty points per game eight rebounds per game was just a dominant player in that league. Um, then you look at a player like Niles Lane, who had production as, um, as a freshman last year, couldn't hit shots. That was the only problem, but was one of the best defensive players on the team. And then in that kind of situation as well with Teruji starting, that means that CJ Felder, a 
player who is one of the best defensive players in the ACC. Um, that means he's coming off the bench. So right there, I mean, I think you see an eight-man rotation that looks really, really solid. And um, for that reason, I mean, I, I think you've got to be pretty high on the depth of this team, which which hasn't really been the case in the last couple of years, where it was like the, the guys that Florida was taking off the bench – we're all freshmen uh, or freshmen or sophomores, young players, unproven players. And it looks like the Gators are going to be bringing off Flanders Fleming, a guy who's a fifth year player, um, you know, CJ Felder, uh, a third year player with ACC experience. Like you're going to Quasi Reeves, at least if you're going to bring a freshman off the, off the bench, it's going to be a five-star, not someone who is like, you know, a low four-star. So uh, depth is definitely going to be a strength of this basketball team. I want to hear you say, Tonga Tot Tot, whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a, that's a tough one. But two on Gat Gat Kick is uh, you can kind of shorten that one up. Um, but yeah, he's an he's a pretty interesting one. Uh, a junior college player that Florida took really late in the cycle. Um, it's not a take that I'm particularly a big fan of. There's there's not really much of an archetype of these kind of transfers working at the high major level. He wasn't a super heralded recruit, wasn't a super heralded junior college player. We kind of saw the Gators try this with um, last year with Osai Osifo, a player that I said was not a take for the Gators. And we kind of saw what happened there. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see with Gakik. He is actually, you know, he he just technically played his first year of college basketball at, or well, of junior college. Um, he can get that year of eligibility back due to COVID. So you know, maybe he's someone who sticks around for four years and contributes in years three or four. I would say that doesn't really happen in modern basketball anymore. So I guess, I guess we'll see. And, and, you know, Florida's track record of developing particularly front court players has not been great. So the Gators really making a bet on their ability to develop a front court player and have them stick around for a lot of years. Well, you know, that that's just not really a model that that's a little bit more 2011, not 20, 21. So um, we'll see with that one really cheering for the kid, but I definitely would not expect um, production here in year one. Is Akeem Mizdeen, you told me how to say it before. What does he bring to the table? And I guess, Obviously, Al Pinkins is more of your big guy uh, coach, but, you know, what does Akeem, does he bring that, you know, that ability to really develop guys? Is, is that something he's known for? Um, you know, you have him and uh, Eric Pastrano um, joining White staff. So do you have those two guys as more of a developing guy, recruiting guy? Just give us an intake on that. So Eric Pastron is definitely the recruiting guy. Um, he got a bunch of really good players at Oklahoma State, and right away he came to came to Florida and got Malik Renau in the class of 2022. Um, Five-star player at Montverde, um, could very well be one and done. Um, post player that's so skilled, um, really great feel for the game. He's going to be a good one to look forward to next year. So, um, you know, there's a lot of coaches with reputations of, of guys who can recruit. Well, Pastrana, you know, right away um, showed that it wasn't just reputation. He could really get the job done. So I, I think that was an awesome hire for the Gators. I mean, he's someone who it seems like every summer there was a lot of really good programs kind of looking to get his services as someone who is from South Florida and has recruited that area really well, which everyone wants to do. So definitely a great, great ad by the Gators. And then, um, with uh, with Mistine, he's definitely a little bit more of the development guy, particularly with the guards. Um, someone who this is his first high major job, so he's kind of used to being in, in situations at Kent State and Florida Atlantic where you have guys around for a couple of years and, and uh, uh, you've got to develop them up. So he's definitely known a little bit more as, as 
someone in that kind of role, particularly with, with the guards. And then, you know, returning Al Pinkins, uh, like you mentioned, he's someone who has um, been tasked with uh, developing the big men. And, you know, I've kind of been a little bit critical of big men development in the past. Um, there's a couple guys on the roster now, you know, Jason Jatobo um, entering his third year and, and, and with Gat kick, I mean, there's some guys that Al Pingans can really, you know, shut me up and, and prove me wrong and, and turn these guys into some really good players. So uh, we'll see. But um, unfortunately that, uh, that track record at Florida so far, uh, not so good with the development of big men. Yeah. You, you're talking about all these five stars and all this depth and it makes me kind of sad when I refer to my football team and it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's making me not feel good right here. Uh, they, they, Florida took in some transfers this year as well. And I know you went through a little bit of it. Uh, what did these transfers bring to the table for this Florida team? I know we usually, when we take transfers from the portal of football, it's the bandaid problem. So it looks like this is, is a lot better quality of transfers that are coming into this basketball team. This is save Mike white job, right? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a different culture with the whole transfer portal in, in basketball versus football. And uh, you see just so many high impact transfers in basketball. They're kind of like, it's kind of been a proven way to win games and it, it's proven to work. I mean, Gonzaga makes it to the national championship last year with Andrew Nemhard, a Florida transfer, and they had a couple other players on their roster that transferred. Um, Baylor, who won the national championship, had several transfers on their roster. It's it's proven at a whole lot of levels to work, and I think it's smart that the Gators have always left room on their roster for transfers, and um, this year lean into it more than ever because they were like, hey, we're tired of being young and inexperienced. So, yeah. uh, so kind of each of the each of the transfers. So Myron Jones would be definitely the most proven kind of high major guy. Um, at, played at Penn State for three years and um, was the forty plus percent three point shooter. If you were looking for the Noah Locker placement, I mean that's him right there. Um, someone who put two two forty percent three point shooting seasons in the last two years um, on the table. So has has been you know able to able to kind of prove he can shoot the ball at the high major level one thing that uh, just to watch with him he's got a really funky shot mechanic he's a right-handed shooter but he brings the ball up to the left from the left side of his face and kind of brings it across his body so he's really prone to some streaky shooting he'll go ice cold he'll go 0 for 7 and then the next game he'll go 6 for 8 so the so Gators are going to be have... pretty like Noah Locke because Noah Locke had the prettiest <laughs> shot I've ever seen in my life yeah I'm gonna Noah miss Locke. Noah Locke man I'm gonna miss Noah I, I love yeah. Noah Locke yeah, Noah Locke, and the thing about Noah Locke was, yeah, you just knew he was going to go three for seven, like the, he, and he didn't run really hot and really cold, and Myron Jones did be the opposite, and the percentages work out. He's been a 40% three-point shooter for two years, but man, I, I'm telling you, he's going to put one off the side of the backboard one time that is going to have you just wincing, but um, the, the percentages so far have really worked in his favor, and then kind of the, the theme with the other three transfers – um, kind of more than anything, I'll say is defense. So Brandon McKissick was a uh, defensive player of the year in the summit league, all multiple time, all defense in that league, Flanders Fleming defensive player of the league in, in the big South, which is also crazy. Cause as I mentioned before, he scored 20 points per game. He was the ninth highest usage player in the entire country. So he was shouldering a whole lot of the offensive load and he was still getting back on defense and, and, and grinding. So, so you've got two all league you know, mid major league, but all, all league defenders in, in Flanders Fleming and, uh, and um, Brandon McKissick. And then CJ Felder wasn't an all league defender, but he very easily could have been. And um, something that I thought was pretty interesting, uh, Neil Blackman from Saturday down South, he talked to Leonard Hamilton, the head coach at, at Florida state. Um, and they're known for really playing really good defense at Florida state. And he said, one of the best defensive players in all of the ACC was CJ Felder. So 
it really, if you want to look at a common theme of these transfers, um, it's kind of defense, defense, defense. But I will point out that, you know, while it's defense, 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 it was Flanders Fleming scoring 20 points per game in the Big South and um, and Brandon McKissick scoring 17 points per game in the Summit League. And just as one more, one more kind of thing to add, so the Summit League is where Oral Roberts played, the team that beat Florida and, you know, made a sweet 16. So while it is a mid-major league, we've kind of seen that obviously there's guys in that league that, that can hang with the Floridas and the Ohio States to the world. Um, not that I'm saying that Brandon McKissick is, is Max Asmus, the guy who just sunk the Gators. Um, yeah. But he was, came from the same league and had, you know, production that was somewhere in that realm. So uh, he could end up being, you know, a really special player. I thought we were friends, Eric. You talk about all the guys who get transfers and you forgot the transfer machine. Oh, Richie I mean, Riley. Come oh. on, man. <laughs> yeah, we got to talk DeAndre Ballard there, and you know all the all those. I, hey, actually, we this, don't even talk about DeAndre Ballard. We got better players than that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's that. Here's a fun stat though. Uh, talking about uh, you know the transfer portal in in 2021. So South Alabama has more players on their roster that were committed to SEC schools um, out of high school than Florida does right now. Because uh, oh, Jags, yeah, he's up, he's up. And looking at this year, I mean, Florida is likely going to start. You know, unless they start Kowasi Reeves, they're starting five transfers. I mean, if it's, you know, Tyree Appleby, Colin yeah. Hanselson transfers, if it's Brandon McKissick and Myron Jones and CJ Felder or Anthony DeRuji, it's all transfers. So Florida's probably starting five transfers this year. And that's, uh, that's modern basketball for you, my friends. Jay's up, Richie Riley. Jay's up. <laughs> uh, question for you, real quick, Eric. Uh, so you look at this transfer portal, and obviously I look at it differently because of doing more football than basketball. But, you know, you look at this roster and it's, it's, it's what, 75% um, transfers. Let's see the only, what is it? Daruji, Daruji, Revis, uh, Jatobo and Lane. That's the only four that were like committed to Florida, right? Uh, no, Daruji was a transfer. So I, I mean, the right. number... The numbers are going to also get a little bit thrown by um, some of the late ads. Like, you know, Elijah Kennedy was, was right. a player that was headed for prep school. Then Keontae Johnson, of course, but we don't know right. exactly what's going to happen. Um, you know, Kowasi Reeves and, uh, and then Jason Jatobo, Niles Lane. So, I mean, but you, you, you know, you're essentially there 60, 70% transfers. And, so, and when you look at the minutes played, it's probably going to be 70, 80%. Is it, is it a failure in recruiting? Because I mean, Mike White's done well in recruiting. I mean, Trey Mann's playing for the Thunder. Scotty Lewis was one of the best players in, ba- in high school basketball when he committed. Uh, uh, the, the same thing with Noah Locke. Noah Locke was a really good player. Keontae Johnson was a really good player. Um, so, you know, recruiting hasn't been a problem uh, really for this staff. What, what is it? Why do you think it is now 75% transfers? I mean, is that just where we're going in, in college basketball? Or is that a knock on Mike White? It's really not a knock on Mike White, and it's it's just pretty easy to, to look at that when you look at all the other rosters around college basketball. Again, if, you, if you're if you a football fan listening to this and you, you hear, oh, Florida's starting five transfers, that's ridiculous, or right. more than half the roster is transfers, that's ridiculous. But then if you just go look around the SEC, look around high major, it's not just the SEC. You look anywhere in college basketball, like I mentioned, look at the national championship with Baylor and Gonzaga. This is just modern college basketball where the mid-major leagues and low-major leagues are almost used like junior colleges. Um, and uh, players just want to go where they can play right away. And and, and I think especially in, in basketball, I mean – 
when you've got 13 scholarships in basketball and you, you know, reasonably need seven or eight or maybe even nine of them to play for you right away, there's just, there's kind of, it's kind of the way you have to build your roster. You can't just fill your back end with guys that are not going to play for a couple of years and, and be content with it. I mean, you even look at a, a couple of the transfers out the last couple of years, like a Quez Glover, for example, that's someone who is an unrated player that unranked player that, that Florida commit like took as a commit. And I think for a lot of people hearing a story like that, you say, Oh, Florida takes an unranked player with no division one offers. That's the kind of guy that'll be happy to red shirt and stick around for a couple of years to play. And he said, no, I'm not getting enough minutes here. I'm going to go transfer to Stanford. So uh, I, I, again, you can dislike it, but I would just say, even if you're mad at it, you're kind of mad at college basketball. You, you shouldn't be mad at Mike white. And if you think that this is bizarre or weird, just go look at some other rosters around college basketball. You'll see this is not unique to Florida. So do you think this is where do you think this is going to be the new normal where you know you're 60 to 70% you know or let's just say half of your roster is transfers. I mean, you know, obviously Florida has a couple of good players in the uh, 2022 class um and, and you lose a lot of guys um with turnovers so I mean obviously they're going to go back to the portal. I mean, is that is that kind of where you're seeing basketball go to where it's almost portal, 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 um, besides the, the ones and dones pretty much. I, I mean, there's been a couple of high major coaches who said that they're not going to be taking players from high school anymore. They yeah. just were straight up like, Hey, it's just, why, why would we take a risk on that? When I can see someone who plays at South Alabama and I can, can go try to get him stay away um, bad example bad example because you know richie riley's <laughs> the one who's getting all these uh, uh, well actually i mean and that's a good example of i i think people think oh look at all these like oh this transfer portal is going to kill mid-majors because these high major guys are going to get whatever they want well look at a team like south alabama there they say oh you might want to get you might try to get the best player from my team but i can get the sixth or seventh best player from your team and uh, that's what south alabama and a couple other savvy mid-majors are doing so it's just uh i, I think this is going to happen a lot more. I mean, I think Florida's could end up having five or six open scholarships after this year. And I'm guessing, you know, they have two commits in the 2022 class, which honestly, that surprised me a little bit. I didn't think they were going to take two this early. So there's a, maybe they get one more, but I wouldn't imagine we see more than a, a, a third player from the high school recruiting class. Um, Florida's going to keep roster spots open and their plan is going to be to go hard after the portal. So yeah, I think this is not even the future of college basketball. Um, it's the present. By the way, they picked my Jaguars to finish fifth in the Sun Belt this year. They're full of it. That's, ooh, some bulletin board material. That's not good. <laughs> might have to. Hey, uh, my man have... Eric knows about Jays up in, 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 in Mobile with Mr. Richie Riley. Richie Riley is going to be a head basketball coach at a big-time school sooner or later. They might have to uh, evaluate. That's the word of the week, right? That's oh. the word of the week. Uh, Eric, before we get you out of here real quick, a uh, couple things. One, what do you see the keys being for this team this year um, to succeed? And if they, you know, fall, if it's a down year, why is it? So I, I think the biggest thing with this Florida team is, again, we kind of mentioned their depth before is, is awesome. And they've got some really good defensive players that I think are going to be stout. The one thing with basketball though, is when it's, there's two minutes left in a game and it's, and it's tied, it's who's, 
it's often what team has the better score on the floor. And, you know, the Gators stole a couple of games last year because Trey Mann was the best scorer on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I look at this team and, and there's just not that kind of guy that you're really comfortable with. I, I should say, we'll see if one emerges, but as we go into the season, I'm not sure who's going to have the basketball in their hands in a tie game with 30 seconds left, one more possession. And you just are, are sure they can get a good shot off and, and hit a big shot. Tyree Appleby has a little bit of that to his game, but he is six foot one it can be a little tougher for him to get off those big shots. than it was a six foot four Trey man and Colin Castleton might be the best player on the Gators, but it's hard to run your offense through a center, especially again at the end of these tight games when refs are swallowing their whistles. So I, I see the floor of this team being really high. They're just so old, so experienced, so much proven production. So I think that their floor, like the, the idea of them, like missing the NCAA tournament and finishing whatever 10th or 11th in the sec, that's just like not really believable to me. But I also look at the kind of their top end talent, and I just say, I'm not sure they really have that kind of star power that could really propel them to winning the SEC or or you know being a really high seed in the NCAA tournament. So that that's kind of my outlook, and I, I think things will go better than expected if maybe you know. I, I think they'll be good defensively. Maybe they're awesome defensively. I mean, Mike White had a couple teams earlier in his career at Florida where Florida did not have good defensive players and they were a top 15 defensive team. Yes, Kavarius Hayes was awesome, but he they surrounded him with a lot of guys who weren't good defensive players and Mike White found a way for them to be awesome defensively. Well, they've got a lot better pieces. The worst. Oh, sadly, sadly he was. So, I mean, you look at uh, this team with a lot more pieces defensively, you know, maybe it ends up being a top 10 defensive team and then it doesn't, matter if they're not great offensively and then you know if the wheels were to kind of fall off in a way that i don't really expect maybe we look back at the transfers and say you know one thing that's crazy is flanders fleming charleston southern um charleston southern was two and 18 last year and their two their two wins were by one point so they're two points away from not winning a single game last season um boston college only won four games last season uh umkc was not good um penn state was 11 and 14 so you know, Florida is getting some players that all look really good. And, and a lot of them came to Florida because they wanted the chance to play big time basketball and they were tired of losing, but maybe we look back on it and say like, Hey, these were guys that, um, you know, there may, maybe there's a reason their teams weren't that good. And cause they played big parts in all of them. So I think that, uh, yeah. So for things to go to summarize, if things end up going really well, it's because they're not good. They're great defensively. And you know, if the wheels kind of fall off, maybe it's because these transfers aren't quite as good as we think. And maybe it's just because they don't have a good enough shot maker. And instead of being the team like last year where the Gators got outplayed in some games and then Trey man bailed them out and stole one, maybe there, you know, there could be games where Florida's depth and experience where they outplay a team for 38 minutes and then someone steals one from them. So that would be my concern. Oh, you make me depressed. <laughs> I just want to win, man. Win something. Hey, hey, last oh. but not least, last but not least, SEC, they're seventh right now. Where do you think they wind up at the end? I will actually, I, I do want to say something quick about that. Just in the fact that most, um, whether it's the analytics, predictive metrics, or it's just, you know, straight prognosticators and voters, pretty much consensus the SEC is the best conference in college basketball this year who could be putting in nine or 10 teams. So honestly, I think the Gators are probably like the fifth best team in the SEC 
but the SEC is really, really good. And even if they are seventh, like the polls are saying, seventh in the SEC could be a six or seven seat. Like that's how right. good the league is. So I know some people are going to say, wow, like seventh, like that sucks. Like what's happened to the Florida program? Again, you still in any year want to be better than seventh, even if the SEC is the best year in college basketball or the best league in college basketball. This is Florida. Um, we know what the Gator standard is here on this podcast. Um, but at the same time, even if Florida does end up being seventh, that might not be like, that, that's not awful. That's a six or seven seed. Are you shooting higher for higher than that? Yeah, at Florida, you absolutely are. But man, if that's, you know, your season doesn't go great and you end up being a six or seven seed in the NCAA tournament, that's not so bad. I'll say this, and, and, and that is, uh, I think, and, and obviously I know zip about basketball compared to Eric, but, uh, you know, a, a lot of your great teams, Gonzaga being one of them, are, are just five guys who play really well together, not necessarily a superstar. So, hey, maybe that's it this year. Maybe that these five guys gel together and, and just play really good together. I mean, like you talk about, these are guys that are have proven their self at smaller levels. So, let's go for it. So, um, Eric, man, we appreciate it, buddy. Uh, always yeah, enjoy getting you on. And uh, get ready because we'll have you on for some more Mike White talk. And uh, I'm thinking it's going to be a good year. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, Florida State's the second game of the season. I think we're going to be probably having some conversations about Florida basketball for the, uh, you know, for the better or worse after that one. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We'll be having conversations before that game because we'll be previewing <laughs> that with you too. So uh, that is, uh, that's a big one. So Eric, man, appreciate it as always, buddy. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we will uh, talk with you on the podcast here soon. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Go Gators. Yeah, definitely. Eric Fawcett, man. You can follow him at efawcett7 on Twitter. Uh, covering the basketball for us here at Gator Country. Thanks, Eric. Eric Fawcett, man. Our man covering the basketball here for Gator Country. And Andrew. can't get over the fact, man. 70% of a team is freaking transfers. I know. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Like, I was expecting, you know, I mean – 70%. Like, I was expecting 50, but 70%. It's crazy how, like, the transfer portal has changed everything. And right. it, it, it's, you know, Mike White, I guess, he he takes those transfers not to Band-Aid problems. Just to, right. He, he might have taken a few to Band-Aid some problems, but the other ones were actual transfers that are going to make a difference coming onto your football team. It's not like uh, Dan Mullen. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Band-Aid I mean, issues 70... on the defensive line. 70%. Like, you're just bringing a new team. I mean, that's like Calipari when he was bringing all those one-and-dones in. Like, yep. man, it's insane. Uh, yeah, well, you know, that kicks off here uh, 1st of November, or tips off, I should say, in 1st of November. And uh, we'll, we'll be covering that here on the podcast. We'll have Eric back, and Eric does a great job. He, he knows this stuff. Uh, but let's get into let's get into some football, man. And let's start with the big one. Shamar James decommits um, from Florida. And, uh, you know, it was kind of – it's been rumored. Um, he visited Georgia twice, but that one hurts, man. Yeah. That one hurts big time. That's I mean – It's our biggest commit. Yeah, and, you know, you and I talked about this, I think, on last week's podcast – I mean, on Sunday's podcast, where Florida had no middle linebackers on this team after Ventrell Miller got hurt. Yeah. Now they lose their best middle linebacker and one of the best middle linebackers in the country. And not only that, but you're either going to lose him to Bama or Georgia. Yeah, and he's probably going to wind up going up in the uh, 
actual, I don't know, 24-7 rivals, however they rank right. them. He's Whatever, going to wind yeah. up going up there. Now they got on right. three now, so who knows what his ranking is going to look like at the end. It's going to go up. I know it for a yeah. fact it's going to go up. And, and that's just it just scratch your head, frustrate you, you name it. Well, I, I don't blame them after seeing that sickening performance of LSU last week. <laughs> like He's going over to Georgia watching that defense trample all over everybody, block kicks, uh, get interceptions, turnovers, and he's seeing like good defense. Then he comes to watch this LSU game where we're just practically letting, uh, what, a three-, four-star running back <laughs> run all over us at 287 yards uh, by himself, 321 yards for the game, and... Uh, can you really blame the guy, though? I mean, it, it sucks that we couldn't hold on to Shamar James, but for you to be able to recruit at an effective level, you got to be able to at least communicate with the guy that's already committed to you, keep him on board. On top of that, on-field results make a kid really want to come to your university and, and stay committed. And I always say they're never committed till they sign the letter of intent. But after the transfer Can't celebrate, portal, man. Yeah. It's just, it, it, with the transfer portal now, it changes things, too. But, like, you can't, you, you've got to keep him on board. And then that's one of those things where I always tell people, yeah, if we get a commit, that's cool. He's got to stay on board, though. And uh, that's one of those decommitments here. And it, it just, like, this class falling apart. Like, it really is. And, and I hate to say that. Now, I don't like to be Debbie Downer. And I did call this the bi-week blues episode. But, man, it, it, it's looking rough. It's really looking rough. Like, and yeah, Julian Humphrey and, looks, you know, all but gone. Yeah, and you're He's sitting, your second guy. You're sitting here and it's almost November. And yeah. you don't have a good recruiting class at all. You 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 probably I don't even know how far they dropped. They probably dropped down to nineteen, maybe. But it looks like from the gist of it, if 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 Humphreys goes, you're gonna be in the thirties. That's that's yeah. terrible. I don't I don't know the last time that we had a recruiting class in the thirties by the end of the cycle. I know when Jim McElwain came from when Will Muschamp was here, we got like a twenty one ranked recruiting class, but it was his rebound, but he was luckily able to get up a few five stars on national signing day and then bump that class rank up. But it's just not looking good, man. Like four to 17th in the composite ranking now, um, after, after that. And I'm surprised, you know, it just, it, you have to figure it out, man. And, you know, it goes to a couple things. And I, I hinted at this a little bit on the message board. And that is, you know, you celebrated too early. Mullen wasn't, communicating Mullen wasn't you know talking to Shamar and Kirby was blowing him up man I mean you know listen I hate Georgia I can't stand Georgia can't stand the Bulldogs can't stand Kirby smart but but listen they are what they are right now they're the hot team yeah they they can recruit too yeah and they're the hot team and right now you know they out recruited you for a guy you wanted and I just don't get it, man. I don't. This is going to be the downfall. And I've said this, and I've said this, and I've said this, and I've said this to I'm blown in the face. Recruiting is going to be the damn the downfall for Dan Mullen, man. It, it, you just you can't you cannot re- not recruit well and, and win at the University of Florida the way you're supposed to win. Now, can you be second and third in the East? And every now and then get to Atlanta and get blown out? Yeah, you can. That's not Florida football. That's not what the standard is at Florida football anymore. It it just isn't. The standard is to be competing for championships year in and year out. Not every four years like you were at Mississippi State. And and it just isn't getting any better. And, you know, people have asked me, what does Dan need to do to get it better? Well, the past 13 years of Dan's career tells me it's not going to get better. 
Yeah, no. And, and the guy that you should have fired last year, you didn't fire. He's still here on the roster. And there's been rumors saying that, oh, well, it was a contract thing, and the reason why no. he didn't get rid of Grantham was that. No. That wasn't the reason. No. <laughs> that was not the reason no. at all. If he wanted to if he wanted to fire Todd Grantham last year, he could have fired Todd Grantham last year. Yeah. That's BS if I ever heard BS. But here's the, here's the thing. And, okay, yes, you fire Todd Grantham, and, that, and you get a new defense coordinator to fix the defense. Cool. What'd you do to fix recruiting? Todd Grantham ain't the only, you know, just absolute waste in recruiting. I mean, Tim Brewster has the best tight ending in arguably college football history last year and can't recruit a tight end this year. Yeah, what's the deal with that? I I don't get that. Like, you had a Mackey Award winner in Pitts, and, and then you had uh, that that tight end that went to Alabama over over Florida. I can't even remember the guy's right. name off the top Skinner. of my head. Skinner, Skinner. Jaleel Skinner. Yeah, and you know that should have been your guy right there. You should have been going after that guy after that. And, and even if he said he wanted to be a wide receiver, you still you still should have been going after that guy. Put him in the slot. It's just like having a tight end anyway. So you could have you could have had Jaleel Skinner, and you didn't go after him. So who do you have now? Who are you going after now? Like. The second-ranked tight end I mean, in the It looks class? like no. you're going to go after Mason Taylor, who's committed to LSU from St. Thomas, Jason Taylor's son. And he's a good player. Don't get me yeah. wrong, he's a good player. But the thing about it is, is it's no guarantee that you get him because, A, he didn't feel wanted a few months ago, and, and B, you're in, you're in your fourth option, basically. You struck out on Skinner. You struck out on Delp. You had Hawkins. He flipped. Uh, and, and now you're going to go to Mason Taylor. And it just, you know – it. It's just bad, man. I, and, you know, I, I hate to be the Debbie Downer and, and everything else, and I don't know that I'm on the fire Dan Mullen train yet. I'm on the fire the, the fire up Dan Mullen train to get him wherever it needs to be. Yeah. But, again, history says that it's not going to improve recruiting once. Yeah. And I don't, know what, I don't know what to say. Yeah, and if you look at it, like, fire up Dan Mullen, we're talking about this. We'll get into this, too, because we're going to discuss my video that I posted and it's a really good video that I had posted on my Twitter, and I did post it on our VIP boards. It's the transition. The, I called it the evolution of Dan Mullen. He gets here in mm-hmm. 2018. He's like, we got to be better at this. We got to be better at that. This isn't the standard. This is that. And then he talks about, you know, his first loss to Missouri, or his first bad loss was to Missouri. Right. And he's like, you know, everybody knows it's the thumb wrestle me, uh, the quote. Kick your ass. Right. This, well, that, and then yeah. in that quote, too, he said, you know, I believe Florida's offense was outgained um, the uh, Missouri. And he said, it doesn't matter. It only matters about the school board. Yeah. Fast forward to Kentucky this year. And he, he wanted everybody to, you know, give him praise because he had 448 yards of total offense against Kentucky. Yeah. Well, what is it, Dan? And, and the thing is, is you see that, that evolution, like you say of him and you just wonder, you know, what's going on. Is the stage too big for Dan? You know, people always, you know, people always are asking, you know, does Dan even want to be here? That I don't know. I, I, I don't know if he does anymore or not. You know, does Dan want to win? Yes, everybody wants to win. Nobody wakes up wanting to lose. Not, nobody I know wants to wake up and lose. And I, I don't think Dan's that way. But the, the mindset has changed. Yeah. And, and it, you, we don't even know what, why his mindset has changed. We don't know if he's just given up. Or he's he's upset with something that's going on at the university he's not getting. Uh, if he wants to go to the NFL and he didn't get his NFL contract last year, so he's just he's just down in the dumps. Uh, we don't know. We have no clue what's going on at, at the university to know why Dan Mullen's attitudes suddenly have changed. 
uh, <clears throat> like I said, you, you go you go to the 18, the 19 season, and then the 20 and 21 season, you know, you're thinking COVID in the 2020 season, maybe Dan was down because of COVID. He couldn't get back on track with strength and conditioning, all that other kind of stuff. So you kind of give right. him a pass for last year, for his attitude at least, not for the games that he had played in the defense the way that it was playing. It was just terrible. But you give him a pass. 2021, okay, every, there's a vaccine out. Everybody can go to practice. You got all the strength and conditioning going, everything going for you. And you, and you don't, like, you just see, like, an attitude of, well, we lost the game, but there's always a but. No, you lost the game. Like, there is no but. You lost the game. It's, it's, it's bad. Like, you shouldn't have lost to Kentucky. You shouldn't have lost LSU. You should have had. We're going to get into this a little bit. You should have had a quarterback playing over another quarterback, and you'd probably be six and one or seven and zero oh right now. But you didn't do that either. So now you're at a position now where you're going into Jacksonville, Georgia, and not Jacksonville, Georgia, but to face Georgia, and you know you're you're at a means where are you going to start Anthony Richardson or are you going to start Emory Jones right now? And to me, you have to give the fan base some kind of hope. I would have mentioned a starter today. Like I said, Kirby's gonna he's gonna prepare for two quarterbacks anyway. That defense, it doesn't matter. There's so many good players on that defense, they probably don't even have to prepare, and they're gonna be able to stop Florida like on, on some offensive drives. Anthony Richardson, what I saw from him in the LSU game, I mean, I'm not gonna call him elite. I'm not gonna call him a Heisman winner. I'm not gonna call him future Heisman winner. He's a rookie. He's he's a young kid, he's gonna make mistakes. But what I saw in that LSU game looked pretty elite to me. Well, you just have to change something up. And again, I, I don't uh... I don't. I don't think he should have named a starter. Um, I. I get it. Uh, you have to do something to get the fan base back. You got to get them excited. You've lost the fan base. You've lost the fan base. Period. Um, now, obviously, the fan base is very. It's short for fanatic, and you can win them back in a heartbeat. You beat Georgia again. Most of the fan base will be back on your. You know, on your team, but. It just isn't where you want to be in year four. You know, you look in year four of Kirby. You look in year four of Dabo. You know, you look in year four of programs. This is not where you want to be. You know, this is your team now. These are your guys now. These are your, you know, your guys that you handpicked. Emory's the guy you handpicked to be your quarterback, and it's not going very well. Yeah, no, it's not. And the thing is, you got to swallow your pride. If Emory Jones isn't that guy, you just got to replace the guy. You you have to swallow your pride, or else right. you're going to be out of a job. That's the problem. Right. And eventually, it's going to catch up to him to where, and it may be in here in Jacksonville. Maybe, maybe over the bye week, he has some big thing that tells him, "Hey, maybe I need to straighten up. Maybe I need to start doing this. Maybe I need to start doing that." We don't know yet. And, and, and what I found funny, too, and we talked about the video I posted through, goes transitioning through Dan Mullen's attitude throughout the years. You've got players liking that video. You've got former players retweeting that video. Yeah. That's not a good look. No. No, it's not. And, it, it, you know, had, it, literally, it literally had 550 retweets and almost 100,000 views. So you know somebody saw it. Right. I'm sure the staff probably saw it. As many times yeah, as he's I mean, going around on Twitter. I mean, yeah. I don't know how many angry fans tagged Dan Mullen. Uh it, it was it was great. And I and I don't I don't I didn't want that to happen. I didn't expect for it to blow up as much as it did, but I kept it up because you need to see that. Somebody needs to see right. that. It's yeah. it's it's getting ridiculous. Well, it just you're at a point and you know, I say this and I, again I don't know how to I don't know I don't know. 
I don't know a better way to say it, but you're at this point now where you're you're in a transition of okay, this is this is at a split roads here where things can go a lot of different ways, and you've got to figure out which way you want it to go because it's it's very quickly could spiral badly very quickly well, it's, uh, it's already starting to spiral <laughs> yeah but i'm saying it could spiral you gotta keep it even from spiraling. More. yeah right and you know you're at you're at that you're at that crossroads of okay we have to figure this out if you're dan mullen you have to figure it out and you know and it's sad to say that you went to that point especially you know when it was the alabama game where everybody was at the highest of highs as far as you know a team you know even though you lost you were at the highest of highs and now you're at the lowest of lows. Yeah. And, and you know, Dan Mullen, uh, with all the people that are coming out on, on social media, and all, you know he sees some of that. Now right. it's a matter of fact of does he care or does he not care? Like you said, does he take the, the one way or does he take the other way? And, and what's really other, the other thing that concerned me too is watching the post-game presser of that LSU game, Mohamed Diabate's interview, yeah. the way that he was talking, not a good look. And, no. and, and that, that worries me, too, coming into Jacksonville. I'm wondering now, and I'm not, I'm not saying rumors. This is me wondering as a fan. Has the defense checked out just mentally? Well, you have to worry if the whole team's checked out. Do you think the, and, do, and, do you think the team's defense checked out mentally during that LSU game? I don't know. I mean, listen, at, at some point or another, I'll say this. That wasn't that a good is, LSU team. No, but at some point or another, whether your team's checked out or not, you got to freaking play for the pride on the back of the jersey too. You know, the, the pride on the front of the jersey is one thing, and you should play for it. But at some point or another, you have to play for the pride on the back of the jersey too. So, you know, as much as the Abate's comments are true about, you know, hey, w- w- we have to be put in the position, I get that, and, and that's true. But at the same point or another, you're a linebacker. Your instincts have to take over yep. to where you do that. Now, again, you can lose your team and you can lose your locker room. Um, and you know, I'm sure he is noticing that and, you know, you have to look at it and and say, okay, if I start Anthony Richardson, how does my team react? If I start Emory Jones, how does my team react? You know, if I have this game plan, how does my team react? You have to think about it. And, And the thing is, is, and this is what worries me. We're in a day and age now where opting out's okay. Yeah. I hate it, but it's okay now. You've got some seniors on this team and some draft-eligible guys on this team that if things go really bad in Jacksonville, maybe Jacksonville's or Georgia's the last game they play. Yeah. And so you you have to be careful here. Yeah, and this is a big game every year. I mean, it, regardless yeah. of whether we're hey, Will Muschamp won these games. Yeah. Well, he only it won one. Happen. Now – I'll say this, the, the, the year that Will Muschamp got fired was the year that he finally won in Jacksonville. It was the last year of his career, and Florida rushed 400 yards. Um, Kelvin Taylor was like a workhorse. Poor guy was running like all day long. Him and Matt Jones, yeah. It, yeah. it, it was a crazy conundrum That was a there. fake field goal too, right? Yeah, that was the uh, one that uh, Michael McNeely the, ran McNeely, in. that's it, the walk-on. Yeah, Publix, yeah. Publix guy. Yeah, doesn't steal like crap. Like, like sells them. Wasn't he in a doctor? Wasn't he going to like medical school or something, something like that? Yeah, he was. Yeah, so yeah, uh, 
Well, I mean, David, I mean, there's a lot. And, I, you know, again, I hate that it's a it's a negative podcast. I, I don't I don't know the answers. I, I really don't. Um, I, I, I think that there's a lot of questions that have to be answered um, in, in the meantime. And I think that there is not a lot of answers right now. Um, and I don't know that the answers are coming anytime soon. Um, but the one answer that has to be fixed and quickly is recruiting. Recruiting and one that's got to be fixed even quicker is quarterback before the Jacksonville game. So yeah, we'll say, uh, I, I will say this. Here's some hope for you guys. Since this is a, a, a bi-week blues segment, <laughs> there is hope. If Anthony Richardson starts in this Georgia game, I think we got a shot. It may all be a slim shot. I still think we have a shot. And I think it, we'll have to see because we don't know how good Anthony Richardson is. We've saw him play LSU. We've seen him play USF. We, <laughs> it's a whole different defense you're playing. How good and how elite is Anthony Richardson? You seen how fast the he progressed through his reads. He could be good. He could be good enough to take on this defense. Here's the thing I'll say too, and that is, as good as both of those guys are, they got to have help on yeah. on the on on that side of the ball. The offensive line's got to play better. Period. the The running backs have got to play better. The receivers have got to get open. The tight ends actually actually have to show up. Yeah. So. You know, you, you, everybody puts it all on the quarterback, and rightfully so. You know, quarterback can win you the game or lose you the game. But, you know, you got to have help. And there's not a lot of guys helping anyone. Well, I mean, you also see the energy of the team is different when Anthony Richardson gets in there, it's at least on offense. On offense, right. Yes. Uh, so maybe they can take that energy. Hopefully, hopefully Dan Mullen's smart enough to start Anthony Richardson, first of all. But if he is, hopefully they can take that energy into Jacksonville, get the defensive guys energized up to want to win that game and upset the number one team in the nation that is your biggest rival every single year in Jacksonville. That's enough of an energy to want to play hard. And this team has. I've seen them play Alabama. I've seen them play Tennessee pretty well. I've seen them play a lot of other teams well better than Kentucky. I've seen their their defense play good against Kentucky. Kentucky just was able to, yeah. to, to out-physical. But I've seen them play good before. So now you have to get energized for this game to play that way when you come into Georgia. If you can hold Georgia to 20-some-odd points, you might be able right. to win this football game. If they get yeah, 30, we'll if they get thirty, Anthony Richardson might be good enough to score 30. You might win this football game. They get in the 40s and 50s, it's over. We'll see. We'll definitely see, my man. Get us out of here, David. We'll be back. We'll be back on Sunday and uh, – Start to preview this uh, this big one. It's uh, I, I love it, man. It's Jacksonville. It's a uh, cocktail party. I don't care what anybody says. Um, I love it. I love it. It's a, it's a great football game. It always is. Great atmosphere. Um, coming across that bridge is is, is spectacular. So uh, gonna be fun, man. Yeah, you see, I, I call it the cocktail party too because I forgot what he, they were even trying to rename it to. That's how much I cared about it. So I don't even know what they're <laughs> trying to rename it to. It'll always be the cocktail party, whether anybody wants to admit it or not. It is the world's largest cocktail party. That is correct. And that game will kick off every year like it does at 3.30 on CBS. The number one team in the nation playing the unranked Florida Gators. Can the Florida Gators upset Georgia and upset and spoil their national championship votes? We will see. And hopefully... By next week, Andrew will be smiling from ear to ear because his Braves won the series. We'll find out. 
on the next podcast. But that'll wrap it up, folks, for this episode of the GatorCountry.com podcast. I'd like to thank Eric Fawcett here from Gator Country joining us and giving us the updates on the basketball and uh, as basketball season comes up here in November. But that'll wrap it up. You can follow me at SodaQuestGC on Twitter, and you can follow Andrew Spivey at Andrew GC on Twitter as well. That'll wrap it up, folks, for this episode of the GatorCountry.com podcast. Go Braves!